Hello, welcome to another live event tonight. This live event has been brought to you by Yes East Cobride, and it's also been streamed to your homes from um, independencelive.net. And welcome, Fesker Ma. Welcome to the, a debate night again tonight. And we'll be having a live interactive event, which will be very much a case of sharing ideas and opinions with the questions being led by you, the audience. So the question for tonight is Section 30 or not? For those of you who are not familiar with the term Section 30, it means basically we're going to debate about this term. It's, a, it's basically it's a very important term that we've been discussing for quite some time around Scottish independence. It's an expected route, supposedly, to be able to hold another independence referendum. And it's widely, a widely held belief that in order for Scotland to have another vote on independence in the next term of office, the Scottish Parliament, the SNP, need the UK government to agree to transfer powers to the Scottish Parliament to allow this to happen. This could either be a permanent transfer via an act of Westminster Parliament or a more temporary one known as the Section 30 Order. The technical name refers to the section of the, of the Scotland Act that allows Holyrood to pass laws in areas that are normally reserved to Westminster. These orders have been used, I think, around about 16 times before since the devolved Scottish Parliament was created in 1999 and have allowed MSPs to legislate on topics such as construction of railways or reducing the voting age in Scottish elections. Crucially, the Section 30 order was also granted by the UK government ahead of the last independence referendum in 2014, after David Cameron and Alex Salmond signed the Edinburgh Agreement. As it stands just now, it seems that Nicola Sturgeon wants to follow the same process for an Indy Ref 2 to ensure any referendum and its results are seen as legitimate in her opinion. But could the Scottish Parliament hold an advisory referendum on the question of independence? without the approval of the UK government? Or do we have to have a Section 30 order granted by the UK government to have a binding referendum? Or will we need an amendment to the Scotland Act of 1998, also granted by the UK Parliament? Some see this as a permission slip and compare it to the Brexit negotiations where the UK government didn't need a permission slip in order to hold a referendum for the electorate to decide whether they wanted to remain in the EU. So why does Scotland, who is also part of a union, in this case the UK Union, need permission from the UK government in London to be able to hold a referendum to decide its own future on whether to stay or not in the United Kingdom? Well, that's the question we have for tonight. So we have three guests who are going to share their thoughts and opinions, and I'm sure that it will be a highly informative and very interesting evening discussing the options that Scotland have, and in particular, where we've been seeing polls which have been sitting at around 56% for quite some time now. So it's certainly a question that needs to be asked. So without further ado, I'd like to have a warm welcome to uh, our first one of our first guests for tonight, and that's Julie McNulty. Uh, Julie was a former SNP councillor for North Lanarkshire, um, deputy leader now of the ISP or the Independence for Scotland Party as well as a blog content contributor and, amongst other things, to uh, What Wings Over Scotland. Hello and welcome, Julie. Hi, Gwen. Nice to see you. Um, th thanks for inviting me on tonight. You're very welcome. It's lovely to see you. And um, just to say that we're, we're, even, we're event tonight quite informal. 
Uh, but obviously the debate itself is, you know, whatever you want to say, you feel feel free to see that, see that and the questions will be coming in in due course from the people who are watching tonight. First of all, though, I'd like to kick things off just now with a 15 minutes a contribution from your thoughts and questions. Before that, I'd also like to welcome our new, uh, one of our other panel members, Angus, Fesgirma Angus. Fesgirma, I believe. So we're just uh, doing introductions just now and um, Julie is just going to give a wee 10, 15 minutes talk on what she thinks of Section 30 or not and then I'll, I'll come over to you after that. Okay. Okay, well... Uh, obviously, Section 30 uh, is something that's very much on the minds of uh, all independence-supporting people at the moment and possible routes to independence. The question that's been posed is Section 30 or not. I, I think the answer is a bit more complicated than that. What, what I would say about this, there's no route map to independence. Okay, We know what point we're at just now. We know where we're trying to get to. It's a bit in between that's unpredictable and it could take several courses. Really, the way you have to think about this um, is if you were going on a long journey. And I'm a great Lord of the Rings fan, so I always think of, you know, Bilbo and Gandalf and stuff like that setting out and all the preparations they made beforehand. What what you don't do when you're setting on, on an unpredictable journey is to plan one route and stick to that all the time. There's going to be twists and turns and you need to be ready. And one of the things that has really, really irked me, what has been happening uh, for the past wee while, is that Westminster have, have been prepared and have been preparing for this moment for quite a while. They're ready at the moment and we are not. Now, some of us are, we, we are aware of some of the things that Westminster have done in this respect. The Internal Markets Bill, is something that's very much um, a focus at the moment because it's undoubtedly a power grab and it's going to tie us into England's economy in a way that we're not tied into at the moment. It's going to have huge implications for things like our NHS, which is currently separate from the English one and the English one is well down the route to privatisation. There's things like the souping up of the Scottish office and stuff like that. But way, way, way before that, back in 1998, Westminster prepared the ground, and that was, first of all, the voting system that they picked, the DeHaunt system, which basically meant that we were always going to be in a tilted playground. And the other thing that they prepared was the Scotland Act and all the kind of things that were written into that. And um, I want to go through a couple of the things that, that we should be looking at. Section 30 is well known about, but how about Section 3 of the Scotland Act? That's the one that says that we need a two-thirds majority to call a snap election. That's something that we as independent supporters should be thinking about. If we need a two-thirds majority um, to call a snapping election, if we wanted to do that, um, then what are we doing about making sure that we have enough um, independent supporting MSPs um, to utilise that option? That's the kind of thing, that's the kind of thing that we should be putting into our tool bag that we should be having ready, and we should be looking at ways to use list parties and the likes um, to make sure. And that's where a party like myself uh, that I belong to uh, comes into play. How about things like the, the fact that we have this rump of unionist M MSPs sitting in Parliament? There's a, there's a saying from Machiavelli that if you want to rule a people, what you have to do is you, you go and sit amongst them. And that's precisely what they're doing just now. And it's not just simply the MSPs that are there. 
It's the pyramids below them, it's the staffers, it's the researchers, it's the natural hub that's, that forms around an MSP, it's the networks that they can create, the lobbying that they can do, the favours that they can grant. We need to break up that network and we need, we need to make a concerted effort to do it. We can't just sit back and let it happen. If we're thinking about this from a strategic point of view, we really, really need to get, you, you know, to get stuck into that. So we need to start thinking strategically about things like this. The current um, election that's coming up, the Holyrood election, we should be calling a plebiscite. ISP are supporting uh, the idea that the May election should be a plebiscite. And the reason that we are doing this is very simple. We actually don't know when we are going to get an opportunity, if we are going to get an opportunity to have a le legitimate democratic event that will be internationally recognised by um, the international community, at, for example, the UN, which is where all of this may well end up. So we need to take that opportunity now. We can't just sit on our hands and hope that we're going to get a Section 30 um, or that uh, Martin Keating's action is, you know, is going to be successful. Uh, and while we're on that subject, um, all the parties um, should be supporting uh, that, that particular action that Martin Keatings is putting through. ISP gave that formal support and all of our exec chipped money in. And it's really, really important because if um, without that action, if we're talking about a legitimate uh, referendum in, in Nicola Sturgeon terms, we can't even begin progress in the referendum bill um, unless um, we get an eye uh, from Martin's case on that. So these are all these are all the things that we need to be um, thinking about just now. In a wider sense, we need to start organising the yes movement, and that means thinking about practical things like setting up structures, um, building up funds, um, sorting out things like leaflets and all of that. We're all sitting um, in aspic at the moment because of coronavirus, but really this is a time where we should be taking stock. Um, setting up links with each other, uh, we should be getting to grips with social media and we should be ready to hit the streets because th th this is probably going to end on the streets. Um, if Westminster is, keeps moving in the direction that it's moving at the moment, it looks very much as, as if they might attempt to shut Holyrood and if they do that, we need to be right out on the streets to protest. In terms of other um, tools that could be used, the Westminster Group, the SNP Westminster Group, um, should be doing as much as they possibly can um, to disrupt Westminster at the moment and grind their gears and start really punishing Westminster for holding on to us. And there's plenty of opportunity um, for that to be done with, with the Brexit bill because what's following on the back of that is there's hundreds of laws to be amended. We should be challenging every single one of those and um, just wearing them down. So all of these things need to be prepared. All of them need to be done. Section 30 may come, Section 30 may not come, but we need to have other options. We need to be ready. Some years ago, I was actually, when I was still in the SNP, I was at National Council. It was actually in Inverclyde during the by-election and um, Alex Salmond was speaking, and Alex said something that really stuck with me at that point. He was talking about progress that we were making towards independence, 
And one of the things he said was, remember that Westminster um, is an experienced player, player at this. This isn't their first rodeo. They have um, dealt with lots and lots of other countries that were formerly part of the British Empire, and they know the playbook inside out. They're going to be ready for us coming. And that means that we, in turn, ha have to be ready for them. But in my view, the, the worst thing that we could do is to commit ourselves to one course of action and hope for the best, because it's just not going to happen like that. Um, just to conclude, I would say we're, we're going to be up for a safe effect with this, and we'd better be prepared for it and pre prepared for the worst, but hope for the best, and hopefully we will get to independence. Thanks very much, Julie. That was that was a really good um, opening um, contribution there. Our other two guests have come in. Is Craig? Come in. Hello, Craig. This is Craig Murray, um, who was a former uh, British diplomat. is now a Scottish independence and human rights activist, author and blogger. Welcome, Craig, and well, welcome again to uh, Angus Brendan McNeil, who is MP for SNP for the Western Isles. So, what we were doing there was just having a each of the members of the panel were able to give a wee introduction to their opinion on the question, section 30 or what. So um, can I just ask uh, you, uh, Angus, to come in now with, with a, a short opening statement about that for, say, 10, 15 minutes or whatever you feel you want, OK? OK, thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and keep it brief. I always start like that and then end up rattling on. So we'll try not, not to rattle on. Um, thanks, uh, Julie. It was good to hear what you had to say and good to see Craig as well. And thank you, Gwen, for the introduction. Yeah, I suppose Plan B's got its genesis in myself and Chris McElhenney of Inverclyde Direction uh, having a blether or two about what was going to happen. And uh, it was sort of looking about 2018 uh, that not a lot was going to happen. I think the 2017 election had been through and the SNP had, had a bit of a thump and a bit of a knock and uh, it was being asked, the Section 30 was being asked for them, just no, no was not the time. No is not the time. Um, and something had to happen. Around that time, I was remember asking at SNP conference what the plan was and a bit dismayed that I'd been told by some senior people that they didn't need to ask because no was going to be the answer. And I felt we should try and move it on. So in... Um, in, in the 12, on the 12th of November 2018, I wrote to Theresa May um, at the time to try and see what her view was, get it in paper uh, for a Section 30, because an election was imminent probably any time, because after 2017, it was quite an unstable situation. Um, and back came her answer on the 12th of December uh, via uh, David Mandel, the then Scottish Secretary, uh, on the 12th of December, actually a year before um, the Scottish election, uh, saying no. Uh, quite simply, and then a letter which I've, I've put on Twitter recently again. And that was kind of um, the answer. Now, the Scottish government weren't wanting to bottom that out, and I felt I was felt frustrated by that. They were still playing the game that they might get a yes again. We spent most of 2019 looking actually not looking for a referendum, but not a Scottish independence referendum, but looking for a referendum on Brexit. And that whole strategy was blown up when we caused the election ourselves in many ways. Um, and the election uh, was run that if we got a majority that we would have, um, that our majority would be a, a case for a, a Section 30. Now I would have asked for that Section 30 before the election and got the no then and then run the election differently because uh, playing us what I call the Boris veto, you know, if we run with the Boris veto and Boris vetoes afterwards, um, well, what can you do? <laughs> it's vetoed and that's the end of it. Um, 
So planning at the moment, and I'm quite prepared myself and Chris McElhenney are prepared to let other plans run, but they've got to be established and they can't run forever. Now, I've, I wrote again this year, I think it was on the, uh, again, on the 26th of, or the 12th of November, actually, both letters were sent. It happened to be a year later, on the 16th of November, one of the two. Um, and I got my answer on the 26th of November, this time not from Boris, but via his intermediary in Scotland, his emissary on the land, Alistair Jack. And that letter basically said no again. Uh, so we've got two no letters. Um, and the Scottish government's got a no letter. And Theresa May said publicly no. Uh, and I think Jacob Rees-Mogg said today, uh, in the chamber, unless the SNP think we, a generation is one, is the life of a fruit fly, it's no. Of course, the once in a generation stuff is nonsense. This was Alex Salmon's personal view. He did say at the time he couldn't he couldn't gain say and uh, write subsequent uh, SNP manifestos uh, when he wasn't leader. And he said, "Don't be daft, uh, Jeremy." When he was talking to Jeremy Paxman uh, at the time on Newsnight. Now. The difference between a plan A, and we can let plan A run for a certain time, and indeed Martin Keating's plan, I hope it, hope it goes well, but if that's ultimately blocked and Section 30 is again subject to the Boris veto, we might not have another ballot box event for five years, meaning the 2026 Scottish election could be the 2021 election uh, for slow learners. Now, time is short, and if we don't blow it the way we blew it after 2019, we've got to get our ducks in a row uh, coming up uh, to this election just now. And obviously, uh, with the polls are 15 polls on the trot, uh, looking at independence or voting for independence or indicating for independence, uh, this UK government are anxious that that doesn't get harnessed and that doesn't get harnessed into an answer from the people. So we leave our ask in a, in a manifesto to ask the people to vote for us so we can ask Boris, can we come back and ask the people a question about independence? There's a number of hurdles there where it might not happen. So at least people can say, yes, you can go and ask Boris. Uh, and then we ask Boris, he says, no, that's where it falls. Now, at the moment, when it falls at Boris, it's consequence-free. As we saw in January this year, we, Boris said, no, there's no consequence because we didn't have another mandate. Now, people say, don't show your hand. Um, but you've got to show your hand. You, you can't have secret mandates. Uh, you've got to tell the people what you're doing. You can't say, well, actually, a vote for us was... A vote for Christmas every week, or it was a vote for uh, it was a vote actually for independence of that last last election, but we didn't tell you. You've got to be upfront and tell the people and have a mandate or whatever other permutation of stuff. So you can't have secret mandates or secret strategies um, for uh, the direct point of independence. So what I want to do, and what Plan B, and what Chris McElhenney, and what many other supporters of Plan B understand Plan B to do. This is not to ask the question, to ask the question, to ask the question. It goes direct for an answer, and it gets an answer from the Scottish people. Uh, what is the uh, most uh, internationally recognised and most legally uh, occurring event in any country, which is its elections? Now, the Scottish people say at an election that they want independence. A lot of the Plan A only guys say to me, well, Boris could say no to that. Indeed, he could. But he'd only say no to that. Two points to consider there. He's already said no to Plan A, because we're letting Plan A run. So he says no to Plan A. But if he says no to Plan B, it is a different thing from saying no to Plan A. Saying no to Plan B is different than saying no to Plan A. Saying no to Plan A is saying no to a bunch of politicians who say they've got a mandate from an election to do something. Saying no to Plan B is saying no to the people who've spoken directly at the election. So if you say no to Plan B, Mr. Johnson, or whoever is the UK Prime Minister after the Brexit uh, disasters of January and February, um, you are actually behaving like Lukashenko of Ukraine. 
Now, I don't think there's any UK PM, and certainly the people around about him don't want uh, to go around the world as uh, UK MPs do and to be put in that sort of bracket where they are turning a deaf ear to a constituent part of their state. Uh, At the moment, Scotland is a nation in a union, and if they're not accepting that, that puts them in a very difficult place if the Scottish people were to vote for independence at the only uh, legal route of using a ballot box in the next um, in in the next year or two, that is for a certain. Um, so I suppose on my final points, I'll, I'll just leave people with, with, with this thought: what we're seeing at the moment is Boris Johnston blocking your routes to using the ballot box at a referendum, and unfortunately, SNP policy at the moment is unfortunately blocking your routes to use the ballot box at a general election. So it's almost a perfect storm. There's one lot blocking. Um, independence at a referendum and another an election. And is that because they haven't conceived of the idea, they haven't thought the idea through, uh, or they just want to stick with the policy they have and others uh, follow without question? Now, I think the thing that we should have done was have a debate about this, because we could have had a debate about this at SNP conference. It was blocked twice. Uh, Chris McElhenney, uh, God bless him, even went to Aberdeen in 2019. I didn't go. It was a long way to Aberdeen from Barra. I thought... Uh, and have they blocked it on the agenda? They then pulled um, a sort of a, a mother and apple pie uh, motion by John Swinney, which was saying the Scottish government was great, and Chris had the idea of throwing in a thing as an amendment there. They pulled that, uh, and then Chris went along <laughs> trying to get it on, and he got booed on stage for trying to raise uh, independence. Uh, this year, uh, one of the excuses was, oh, the national secretary hadn't agreed the wording. So this year, uh, we got the National Secretary involved. We're up to his neck with us, uh, writing the motion this year. Um, but then they decided not to use it at all. Um, so we've got to do something uh, about uh, getting that as SNP policy. Time is short. If we don't, the game's probably a bogey after uh, after um, twenty uh, the twenty twenty one election. Because if we think this through a little bit, uh, finally, I was going to say I was going to stop, but here I go. There's maybe two other points. If we think this through, if, if we run to the election and the SNP is the largest party uh, saying that we want a Section 30 and there's nobody saying that if the majority of M- MSPs vote uh, for independence having been elected on that ticket, that that itself would be a direct mandate, then where does that leave us? It leaves us absolutely nowhere. There's no parliamentary route and then there is no um, referendum route, which makes the 2026 election, as I said, the Scottish uh, independence uh, election, or the 2021 election uh, for, for slow learners. And we're delaying uh, for five more years of economic extremism uh, from the Tories uh, at Westminster. Um, I think of that I'll maybe just stop and let's see what the questions bring up. But I hope, hope that's enough for people at the moment. And I hope they understand the difference essentially between Plan A and Plan B. Plan A asks permission from Boris and makes Boris the most important player in the independence game going forward. Plan B goes direct to the people and they decide what should happen to Scotland in future. Thanks, Gwen. Thank you. That's excellent. So um, we'll move on to Craig now. So Craig, would you like to um, give your point of view to the question, Section 30 or not? I'll start with a um, couple of SNP conference stories to start off, <laughs> to finish off from the, from the one that um, Angus just told. I, I, I've got a, an SNP conference agenda here from a, a past conference. Uh, the logo of that one was Stronger for Scotland. The latest one was Hope, I think. I think the one before that was Change. It'd be lovely to see 
independence as a, 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 as a logo. And a couple of years ago, um, I was going off to conference as a delegate, and there was no mention of independence anywhere in the entire conference agenda, going through all the motions. We were, we were adopting some constitutional amendments, and the, um, uh, an independence occurs in the Constitution. That was the only mention of, of independence in the entire agenda, including the agenda also details on the Finge meetings, and not one of those um, mentioned independence either. Um, being a delegate, I, I thought, I know, I'll book a Finge meeting. Now, now, booking Finge meetings at SNP conference is extraordinarily prohibitively expensive. It costs thousands of thousands of pounds to hire a room in the conference hall, but I got the thousands of pounds together, and I applied to hire a room to hold a Finge meeting on independence. Um, and for a couple of weeks, I got no reply at all. I kept phoning them up. Um, and eventually, um, I got a reply from a, a Peter Moyle saying that I couldn't book a room because I was only an individual member. And individual members are not allowed to book rooms. It has to be an organization or a company. Um, now, I have a company which, which runs music festivals. So um, I went back and said, that's great. My company would like to book a Finge meeting to discuss independence. And I got a reply back from Peter Murrell, which said that my company was not allowed to book a Finge meeting to discuss independence. Companies were only allowed to book Finge meetings to promote their own products. Um, so Heathrow Airport can and does book out uh, three quarters of the bloody hall to, um, uh, to tell us why we all need much more pollution from air traffic. Um, and that's fine. That, that's good. But a company could not possibly book a room at SNP conference to discuss Scottish independence. So anyway, so I wasn't allowed to book a room. My company wasn't allowed to book a room. And <laughs> all efforts to get an actual discussion of Scottish independence um, at that conference by paying to have a Finge meeting uh, were blocked. It wasn't wasn't allowed. Um, and I think you know where we went terribly wrong in, in the 2017 election and why why the SN, in Westminster election why the SNP lost so many seats. And you remember that was the don't mention independence referendum where um, uh, so election where the Tory stick was all the time to say you want independence, you should get on the day, day job. And Nicola's reply to that was not, yes, we need independence. That's why I'm talking about it. Nicola's reply to it throughout was, uh, I'm not talking about independence. I am getting on with the day job. You're the one talking about independence. It's the Tories who keep bringing up independence. And by, by not foregrounding independence in the 2017 campaign, in fact, by seeing we're almost ashamed of the notion of independence, the SNP lost a, a, a whole raft of, of Westminster seats in 2017. Um, we are shortly hitting, and it could be hitting very hard indeed, hitting actual Brexit. We mustn't forget that England and Wales voted for Brexit. They're getting what they voted for. The SNP lost two years when it should have been campaigning for independence, campaigning against Brexit for the whole of the UK. Um, and a party leader who could never go on an AUOB march found time to go down and march and stand on a platform 
with Alistair Campbell to campaign against Brexit. Scotland has no right to keep England and Wales inside the EU against the will of their electorate expressed in the referendum. Just as England and Wales have no right to take Scotland out of the EU, the solution to Brexit is for Scotland to become independent and stay in the EU as its people voted for, and for England and Wales to leave as their people voted for. The SNP had no business ever to be campaigning for the whole of the UK to stay in the EU against the democratic wishes of the people of England and Wales. If we believe England and Wales are separate countries, as we do, then we should let them go their own way. If they want to vote Tory, if they want to leave the EU, if they want Brexit, that's their business. It's not our business. If you, let's start behaving as now as though we believe in independence. Let's stop worrying so much about interfering in the business of Westminster in the governance of England and Wales. Um, because you either believe in self-determination or you don't. And by the same token, we shouldn't be asking for permission. We shouldn't be asking for Section 30. Scotland is an ancient nation. We have our own culture. But we have a long historical association as a nation, a long historical record as a nation. We ended our independent nationhood by a voluntary treaty, um, not by conquest or subjugation. Um, there is no doubt whatsoever that the Scots meet the category of a people in terms of the UN Charter, a people with the right of self-determination. And the right of self-determination is inalienable. The, you can't lose it because, of the, because you are subjugated by someone else or, or you are part of a wider empire or polity. That was the whole point of the United Nations declaring the right of a people to self-determination in the Charter. Um, that's what drove the decolonization process. And we are a people. We are a people in terms of the UN Charter uh, under um, uh, Article 1, Power 2 of the UN Charter. We have the right of self-determination. You cannot believe that the Scots are a people with the right of self-determination and also believe that we can only move forward to independence with the permission of Westminster. Those two beliefs are incompatible. If you think we need Westminster's permission for independence to be legal, then you don't really believe Scotland as a nation would be right to self-determination. Uh, we shouldn't be asking. We should not be asking. We should be taking our independence. There's no point in asking because we'll never be given it. The Tories only agreed to the 2014 referendum because at the time they agreed, independence was at 28, 30% in the opinion polls. And they thought there wasn't a hope in hell they would lose. The, the Tories agreed to 2014 entirely because they were confident they would win. And they got the shock of their lives. They didn't expect that tremendous upwelling of hope 
and enthusiasm and joy that, that, that constituted the, from the streets that, that, that constituted the 2014 referendum campaign, they're not going to make that mistake again. They're not going to be a Section 30. Um, asking for it uh, as a political token, um, I suppose, does no particular harm, uh, but, but it's already uh, casting doubt on your right of self-determination if you believe that you need permission. I. I, I perfectly agree that the, uh, you know, if we can't be granted a referendum, the idea of making the next Hollywood election a plebiscitary election as a Plan B is something uh, with which I agree. We, we've been we've been blocked from putting that forward as SNP strategy to date, uh, and I, I doubt that's the way we will go. I'd like to make the point: you don't need a referendum. The large majority of countries uh, in the world, but the majority of countries in the world actually have come independent uh, during my lifetime um, uh, uh, as independent nations. And the large majority of them didn't have a referendum. Um, and even in those which have had a referendum, um, that's not necessarily the start of the process. If you look at the Baltic states, for example, which are all now fully accepted members of the European Union, they had declarations of independence from their local parliaments, from their Soviets, before they had confirmatory referenda later. Um, that, I think, is the way we should go. If we continue to be blocked from holding a referendum, I have no objection to holding a referendum, but if we're, if we're blocked from having one, the Scottish Parliament should declare independence, and then, as an independent nation, we should own, we should have our own uh, confirmatory referendum held under our own auspices, without permission, without interference from London, um, under the guidance of, of a Scottish electoral commission. Um, and I want just to come to the legality of this as well, because it. It infuriates me, it really does, where the notion that um, it is illegal to obtain independence without an S30 is a complete and utter nonsense. The notion that the law of the United Kingdom, the domestic law of the United Kingdom, has any bearing on the legality of Scottish independence is a nonsense. Independence is not a question of UK domestic law. Independence is purely a matter of international law, purely, and purely a matter of relationships between states. And we become independent at the point that the United Nations recognize us as an independent state. To the extent it doesn't matter, you, the domestic legislation could say we were independent. The uh, Westminster and Edinburgh could agree that we are an independent country. If the United Nations didn't recognize us, um, that would have no effect. Look at the Turkish Republic of North Cyprus, to give one, one, one of several examples. It's not, it's not what the domestic legislation says uh, which makes you independent. It's recognition by the United Nations. And if you are recognized by the United Nations, the state you are leaving cannot prevent you leaving. Um, and I want to quote, I know most people have probably heard me, or many people have probably heard me quote this before, but I want to quote it because it's extremely important. This is the United Kingdom making its case to the International Court of Justice in the case of Kosovo. The International Court of Justice was giving an advisory opinion to the UN General Assembly on the legality of uh, Kosovo 
declaring independence. And the United Kingdom supported Kosovo declaring independence. Um, and in doing so, the United Kingdom specifically argued that the domestic legislation of Serbia or Yugoslavia um, could not have any effect on the legality of Kosovan um, independence, which was purely a matter of international law. And I'm, go I'm going to read this out to you very briefly. International law has not treated the legality of the act of secession under the internal law of the predecessor state as determining the effect of that act on the international plane. In most cases of secession, of course, the predecessor state's law will not have been complied with. That is true almost as a matter of definition. So the UK government argued that basically becoming independent is almost always going to be illegal in terms of the law of the state you are leaving. But it doesn't matter in international law. And the key thing to add here is that the International Court of Justice agreed with the United Kingdom's position on this. Um, and let me, uh, let me just read one more sentence from that, just to show you that you know, what, I'm not making up what I'm saying, if you like. Again, this is the UK government to the International Court of Justice in the Kosovo case. Whether a declaration of independence leads to the creation of a new state by separation or secession depends not on the fact of the declaration, but on subsequent developments, notably recognition by other states. As a general matter, an act not prohibited by international law needs no authorization. So, again, it's getting yourself rec recognized which counts. And we, we have um, the extremely strong um, position that the UK is no longer an EU member state. The problem with the, the EU is a club of member states. Um, wh whatever uh, you may um, uh, think of its aspirations and aims and declared intentions, it always functions as a club of member states uh, defending each other's interests. That's why the EU was so unhelpful over Catalonia, because the member state is Spain, and it was defending Spanish interests. The UK is no longer a member state. The EU has no interest in helping defend the interests of the UK. In fact, it is Scotland, which is the potential member state, uh, which the EU wants to join, uh, and which the EU has every interest in defending. Uh, Plus, the EU has, where well, they may not express it publicly, but, but they have, a very definite interest in showing that it was a disaster for the UK, it was a disaster for Boris Johnson, it was a disaster for Westminster to leave the EU. Because otherwise, of course, uh, other states may leave the EU. They, they want to show that's a very bad decision. So the breakup of the UK would be a salutary lesson as far as the EU was concerned. The EU has every incentive to recognise an independent Scotland, and it would do so on the basis of international law as outlined in the Kosovo case and as put forward by the UK itself in its submission on the Kosovo case. And once the EU states 
recognise an independent Scotland, the rest of the United Nations uh, will follow very quickly. And I should should add that um, African and, and, and other developing world states um, will have a strong incentive to do so uh, in terms uh, of the decolonization, anti-imperialist um, narrative, which is a good one for us to put forward. I'm sorry, I've probably spoken far too long, uh, and uh, but that's my view of the way forward. No Section 30, Parliament declares independence, our own confirmatory referendum, go for international law, and we don't care what Westminster thinks. That's a very interesting point of view, um, and I think that, that that's interesting. So basically, the, the, the thoughts that you have there is that we don't actually need a Section 30 because we don't really need a referendum. So that's a really interesting point of view to bring in as well. And I'm really keen that we do get a you know across you know opinion of what you know what you what you guys think the best way forward. But um, but we've had a few questions coming in now, so that's really good from the the people who are watching. And the first question I'll put to you, Julie, because you've been sitting. Quiet for so long. It's we've been not. So we haven't forgotten about you. It's okay. But, I'll, but what I'll do is I'll ask you all if you want to chip in. Just put your hand up if you want to, to answer the question. Okay, but I'll go for you. Anyway, the question is from Ashley Kenny. The question is why do you have? Why do we have to ask permission to leave the voluntary union? And why do they have the right to tell us no? So it fits in quite well to what Craig was saying there. But um, so why do we have to have to ask permission to leave the voluntary union? And why do they have the right to tell us no? What do you think about that, Julie? I suppose the thing that we're all kind of grappling with at the moment is that, there, and Craig has made a very good point about it, is at some point there is going to be a leap of faith in this. You know, we're, we're very used to living under, um, you, you know, under the UK sort of thing. And... It's a, it's a question of when people are going to be ready to to make that leap. So it's natural to reach out, first of all, for the kind of mechanisms that are there, that the laws that we understand, the authorities that we normally go to. Um, and that that's a process that I would say we've been going through th for the last couple of years, sort of thing. I mean, there is a, no, we don't, you know, as Craig has laid out legally, we um, in terms of the UN and all the rest of it, we don't. But it's trying to get the Scottish people to make that leap. And we have to be mindful at the moment that we are on 50, you know, we're in the low 50s, which is, um, you know, still nearly half the country are maybe not are not ready to make that leap. I think um, in the next couple of months that things are going to change rapidly. They're going to go rapidly downhill. Um, I... Um, someone that works in a helpline, I deal with a lot of employment cases, I can see the tsunami coming in, basically. People losing jobs, people out of work. Um, we are going to be looking at food shortages, probably. Um, you know, and I use this word carefully, starvation. In fact, it's already happening. Um, food banks are going up. And a lot of people, there, there's a lot of quiet people out there um, who are suffering very, very badly just now. And I think the impetus from that um, will, will enable Scotland to make that leap. So I think, yeah, I mean, the, the short answer is no, we don't have to. But 
there has to be a mindset and that Scottish people need to get the confidence to understand that they are a nation. Again, coming back to Craig, to what Craig was saying, I think we've lost a, a sort of sense of where we came from and the fact that we do, have, you know, we had our own kingdom, we had our own parliament, you know, um, as Walter Scott put it, nobody's nails can reach the length of London now, you know, and we need to, we need to bring it back here. So that's what I would say. Okay, thank you. So would, would you want to, to answer that, Brendan? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a good question. It's a, it's a question that sounds quite simple. Um, why do we have to ask permission? But actually, I think behind that um, and answering that, hopefully the confusion that some people have got themselves into, perhaps around the leadership or the decision-making, you know, the Who Controls uh, Conference at SNP. I mean, we don't really have to ask permission of the UK at all. And I think Craig... Uh, well laid it out, but what we need to do is establish democratic legitimacy in Scotland. We have to know that the Scottish people want independence. Um, and the way we've chosen, and the way that Alex Salmond's mechanism was to do that, was to uncouple elections, the way Margaret Thatcher said, you know, just SNP win a majority of seats here, independent. Uh, at that stage, we, we needed to uncouple, in, or it was felt we needed to uncouple, um, the actual process of electoral advancement of the SNP to prove that we were competent. So you didn't have people saying, we just can't do it. Uh, so we had to show some competency. And the way to, to get into government and show competency was to was to unhook uh, the the two things. Now, uh, we then in 2014, you said the referendum, as we know, lost. Um, so we're not asking permission. What we've got ourselves into problem is that we want to do a referendum again. And the particular referendum route we've used, or it's only one maybe open to us for certain at the moment, requires agreement from the Westminster government. Now, if our side are saying we definitely won't use an election, which is the one legal and the one definitely internationally recognised things can happen in Scotland in the, in the next while, and we ourselves are closing one door, then we're leaving only one other door open. And we're not asking permission for independence, but what we are asking permission for is a particular mechanism uh, for independence, and that is a mechanism of the referendum. Uh, for independence. Now, I think that's a mistake to close the other door. Yeah, play the game, and if they want, ask that. But then when that door is slammed in our faces, as it will be, and as it's been a number of times, we go back uh, through the other door and we use the ballot boxes of, as an election, the, the one certain event that's going to happen. So I'm glad of the question, because the question then lets us untangle what, what has been looked for here. It's not permission for independence that's been required, it's permission uh, for a referendum. And that's why I've coined the phrase the Boris veto. Uh, the Boris veto comes in because he, if you're asking him uh, for a referendum, he can go no. And he is going to go no because he, see, he sees the polls like everybody else. And he's not going to hand us the golden ticket uh, to, to end his whatever he wants to his precious union or whatever he calls it. Uh, of course, the union isn't even 100 years old because we know Ireland... Uh, had left Great Britain, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland in 1922. So the UK of Great Britain and uh, Northern Ireland now, it was Great Britain and Ireland, I hope I said that correctly. Uh, but it's Great Britain and Northern Ireland now, and that's that's a state that's younger than probably some of the older Hollywood actors and actresses that are, might still be alive. Uh, so remember, we're not asking permission for independence, but the party position in the SNP is we've chosen to ask permission for a particular mechanism to get us to independence. And it's the confusion of what we're really trying to do is establish the legitimacy of the people's voice. And I think we've got other mechanisms to do that. And that's why we've got plan B. And that's why we're talking about if other routes are blocked, that we use the election of May 20, 
21. Okay, thank you. Craig, would you like to come in on that question? You're oh. muted, Craig. You're muted. I, I think it came. That was probably a tremendous answer. <laughs> absolutely brilliant and unrepeatable. Um, yeah, no, I think I, I think it's basically what I covered in my in, in my wee talk. So, so I don't think I need to add anything. Okay, thanks very much. Well, thanks for those. And to move on to the next question for tonight, which is um, from Jim. Uh, yes, I've not missed one out. Jim, and it's a I don't I don't know what his second name is, uh, but he's got he's got a. Um, uh, I think it's a Twitter handle, which is no love for the UK. So anyway, will a successful result in the Martin Keating's uh, Section 30 action force the hand of the gradualists in the SNP leadership? So who would like to answer that question? Can I come in seeing as I, I didn't answer the last one? Yes. Yeah, I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating. Um, I'm, I'm not convinced it will be a successful Result because you know you are looking for uh, the court of session to define what is the, the state of law on the question in Scotland, and it doesn't seem to me it, it there's it doesn't seem to me automatic that you, you'll get one answer or, or, or the other there. Um, if Martin Keating's wins the case, uh, that really is going to remove the excuse for delay for, for you know this appalling procrastination we've been having over independence um from the scottish government for the last two or three years then their excuse they've been hiding behind is going to vanish but i also think it's going to be things to head in another way because it seems to me what is extremely likely is that if Martin Keating's wins a case, and I should say, I think we should all take a hat. I think Martin Keating is amazing. You know, I think he's done an absolutely fantastic job. And those people who put their hands in their pocket to support him are, are, are amazing. I think what we will see is I think we'll see the Tories at Westminster pass a new law at Westminster uh, to, to nullify the result of that court case, to say you can't have a referendum, uh, you know, to make that explicit which the Supreme Court will, will uphold uh, on the uh, doctrine of the sovereignty of the Westminster Parliament. So, um, and then, but that also would force the hand uh, of the Scottish government, because how do they then react to that? How, how do you react to Westminster digging in a new law specifically to deny the democratic rights of the Scottish people? Uh, at that stage, you either, you know, you either bend the knee and kowtow to Westminster, or you fight, and you have to fight at that stage. I, I don't mean physically, obviously, but, but, but you, you know you have to embark on a real immediate journey to, to independence, whether, whether Westminster wants it or not. So um, I, I, I think one way or another, uh, if Martin wins, uh, it will force the hand of, of the Scottish government, very, very much so. I, and I'm, I, I'm enormously looking forward to the case in January. Thanks very much. Would you, um, either, of, either of you like to come in on that question? Um, yeah, I would um, I would agree with Craig. I think one of the problems with Martin Keating's case is going to be is going to be timing. Um, because because it is January, 
um, court of session. Court of session could sit in its hands for six months to come to a decision. That's the kind of thing they could they can do, you know. Uh, and then if it gets appealed, um, you know, it goes to the Supreme Court. So, you know, we we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, Boris might jump jump the gun by that point and just shut everything down. I mean, that that's basically what what I'm afraid of because all the all the moves that I've seen Westminster make all seem to be pointing towards that. But I think it'd be very very difficult for the SNP um, not not to react to that as the main engine of in, independence. Um, I think they would they would have to they would have to start moving or be or be called out. Thank you. Do you want to come in, Angus? Yeah, I mean, I think well, one of the good things about doing the Martin Keating's approach is we actually find out one way or the other. It moves the thing on. Um, doing nothing isn't isn't a good idea in 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 this whole process, uh, and that's been um, that's been the situation probably for a bit too long. I mean, the Scottish government sat on its hands a little. If we can be critical of my colleagues, I think. From 2018 onwards, there was a reluctance asking for a Section 30 after an election. Um, and, you know, that reluctance early on to move it or, or to push the Section 30 route, well, they're saying no to it. Uh, the idea, and myself and um, I'm, I'm going to paste the motion of Plan B, myself and Chris McElhinney's motion takes that into account. The Scottish Parliament has one. But if all doors are closed, you can't ultimately turn around to people and say no. Um, so other mechanisms have to be found, and there'll be the ballot boxes eventually. At an election, which would be unfortunate if we if the 2026 election becomes the what should have been the 2021 election, we lose five years to the Tory economic extremists. So yeah, I welcome something that's moving it on, and that's moving it on. If I can jump back in, I mean, one of the interesting things I'm observing just now is um, Jacob Rees-Mogg is seems to be saber rattling with regard to the Supreme Court. Uh, probably as a direct result of what happened with the prorogation thing uh, last year. And um, the Supreme Court used, uh, is an offshoot from the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council, um, which is basically sort of the House of Lords. And um, if they brought a, you know, if they brought the Supreme Court back under the direct influence of the Privy Council, the person who's actually the president of, president of that at the moment is Jacob Rees-Mogg. You know, so um, I'm wondering if the sort of moves that are going on are in preparation for maybe Martin Keating's case succeeding. So uh, up here and making quite sure that it won't succeed down there. I, I think if, if I can come on, on the back of Julie's point there, in many ways we've got lost in ourselves. We, we, we like processes a bit in Scotland, but what we're really talking about here is establishing what the people want. Now, mm -hmm. Um, I think all of us here tonight agree that we've got to find a way of establishing what the people want. Mm -hmm. And to me, there's, there's mechanisms that are going to be tried and everything else except the one thing you can't really do is tell people at an election you can't or cannot vote for such and such an idea. It's a democracy. You're open for everything in a democracy. So we've got to find a way of getting an answer for the people for what they want. Now, the answer may, might well be no. Fair enough. That, that's what Scottish people, if they want the economic extremism of the Tories for for another few years and all that goes with that, that would be their choice. But the other point is them by going by the polls, it looks like they want independence and nobody should be stopping that choice either. So on both sides, uh, we should see democracy and we should see both sides uh, at least accepting what comes out from that democratic choice. 
Thank you. So, so potentially then uh, 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 an exploratory uh, referendum to find out the people's wishes at some point. You know, potentially I'm just thinking. Um, but basically, uh, so for more questions coming if, in. If, if you can hold that and, you know, why don't we do that now? It's the fierce urgency of now in, in, in a lot of these things. Uh, because I'd like to find out and know about those things before the 2021 election. If we find out after the 2021 election, say if we find out sometime between May and December next year, well, we're hanging about another few Mays until May 2026. Mm-hmm. That's right. We don't want to be well, yes, waiting that long. <laughs> um, okay, so thanks very much. So we've got some more, uh, another few, quite a few questions coming in. It's looking very, it's looking very good. So um, especially here from James Cassidy. And it's how do the ISP, so I presume this is probably directed at you, propose to gain a foothold in mainstream news reporting so that the average voter becomes aware of their existence and the ISP uh, ISP's tact? Well, we're... <laughs> okay, well, well, what we're doing just now is one way of, is one way of doing it, Gwen. Um, we have been recently, I don't know if people have noticed, we have been ramping up our social media. Uh, no one shows you how to set up a political party and it's not that easy. Uh, I, I've been grinning ruefully at that term that's been going around pop-up party. I can assure you that the last thing that parties do is pop, is pop up. Uh, and we've had to um, dot an awful lot of I's and cross an, an awful lot of T's. So we've just finished setting up branches bank accounts, we're in the middle of vetting um, and now we've sort of turned to social media and we're just going to hit it for all we're worth. I mean, that that's what we're doing. We're putting up videos, we're doing, uh, you know, I'm doing a lot of writing. We've got someone who's very good in economics who's now contributing and we've, we've just got to keep peddling it. There are restrictions on us with regard to, with regard to coronavirus, you know. I mean, if it was down to me, I would go about this the old-fashioned way and do the old shoe leather and get you know get round doors because it is your your biggest um, bang for your buck sort of thing. Um, but that that's that's basically uh, how we intend to do that. The mainstream media are are not the most helpful uh, sometimes because they do have their their own agendas. Um, and but. If we get the word out amongst the grassroots, and we've been, I know that Twitter is is not, I get, you know, is not a definitive guide to a lot, but we've been polling pretty well uh, on these things and on, you know, samples of four and five thousand of that. We we've been hitting about um, 30 percent on on a lot of those. So. We're quite pleased with where we are at the moment, but I mean, we do recognise that we're running to stand still. The thing is, I mean, we're not. I, I, I'm speaking for myself here, but I think I'm speaking for other people. We intend to stick around. We're not. We're not going to disappear uh, after the Holyrood direct uh, after the Holyrood election. So we're just we're just starting to dig in now. Okay. Well, thanks very much. So we're going to the next question, which is from um, Stephen Kelly. And the question is, why don't we uh, reconvene our parliament again? We have to protect the people of Scotland first and foremost. We don't need permission to leave a voluntary union. I'm presuming that means reconvene our parliament in full rather than being partially, just being a devolved parliament. Does anyone want to answer that? Yeah, I mean, I think in in a number of those things, 
and we, we may have points of fine disagreement with this. I'm not sure. I've, I've no idea. I'm not sure. But we've got to establish the legitimacy on the view of the people in this. Is that what the people want to happen? And how do how are we going to establish that? Well, we need either a referendum, we need to use an election, we need to use a ballot box somewhere. I mean, there's loads of things I'd love to do, but I'm not really sure we could, I could take the people with me. I would have to check that. Um, and we, we check that as in, in a democracy is at the ballot box. And we're back to the same old conundrum. If we don't get our referendums stopped blocked by Boris, and if we don't get our elections blocked by SNP policy, where do we go? And does anybody else want to come in on that question? Not really, no. No, Craig, no, you don't want to come in, Craig? Uh, no, I, I mean, I think the, I think that is the, if Plan B were adopted, that's the logical consequence. I, I mean, I think what Angus and I, uh, you know, there, there are great similarities in the kind of plan that Angus and I want to go forward, in that if, if, if we were to have the May elections as a plebiscitary election, uh, then presumably, the, the Scottish Parliament, which is then elected, is elected with a mandate to declare independence as the Parliament of Scotland uh, and, and becomes a Parliament of an independent Scotland. Um, that would seem to me uh, uh, the, the obvious way forward. I, I, I think, sadly, that's not, that's not something... I mean, for me, that's what needs to happen now. The SNP needs to say, in its manifesto uh, for May, if you vote for us and if we are elected, we will declare independence. And I, and I presume that uh, the ISP uh, would um, uh, would go along with with something along those lines that that it, it is being elected in order that, that if uh, the ISP were part of a, a, a pro independence majority uh, in Parliament, um, then uh, and if uh, a referendum were were blocked, then it would be prepared to support a declaration of independence ultimately. Um, yes. Yep. Yeah, we would. Great. Okay, thank you. So the next question is um, from um, David R. I think it's David Russell. And it's, um, why did ScotGov attempt to sabotage the People's um, Section 30 court case? <laughs> well, um I think Craig's maybe got a more of a legal mind than me. I know that it's my party of government. Um, and this is the, the Martin Keating's case. Uh, and Craig will probably correct me as I boldly put my, probably literally my foot in it. But I think their fear was they would rather do this in the parliament and then have the UK government challenge them than establish it in the courts and maybe lose it there. So there's a sort of a sequencing of the thing uh, is the best answer I can give. Craig, do you want to completely pull the rug from under my feet or what? No. Um the argument they actually used was that it's not up to um, ordinary people, uh, you know, that, that Martin Keatings and his people are just ordinary citizens and they are uh, usurping the prerogative of the uh, Scottish Parliament and government by bringing this, this case uh, because it's up to the Scottish government to ask for Section 30, not up to Martin Keatings. So, so he, shouldn't be, he shouldn't be asking for a decision on something that's not in his power to ask for. In, in effect, it, it, it was a, I would characterise it as, who do you think you are? <laughs> which, which is a strange argument, because given at Westminster, as the Tory and English MPs assert that Parliament is sovereign, we're never finished barking back at them. 
in Scotland, the people are sovereign. Um, so when a person has gone to the court to try and do something, we're now suddenly saying the people are not sovereign. Oops. Yeah, no, no, it wasn't. Uh, I, I, mean, to, to, no, I, think, I think we all think it was very wrong of the Scottish government to actually intervene against Martin Keating. Um, uh, but the, if you were looking for justification, uh, a, a political justification, uh, it would be that it's, it's premature, this is an unhelpful argument, answer, it's tactfully the wrong moment, tactically the wrong moment. You know, you can you can think up reasons, but the, the legal reason they gave was that it's not up to Martin Keatings to ask. Mm. Do you want to come in on that, Julie? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought, I mean, apart from the rightness or wrongness of it, and I thought they shouldn't have done it, but politically speaking, I, I thought it was, was um, a really naive thing to do i mean they didn't have to they didn't have to oppose it the lord the lord advocate was there um there were other people um who were you know who were respondents in the case i really do, i really do not understand and i mean th this is part this is part of my worry just now is we're not really sure what's going on in the snp just now there seems to be different things going on and that was an absolutely to me, politically speaking, nonsensical thing to do. There was just no benefits I could see to it at all. But why they would even get involved in that? Um, and it is worrying that. Uh, I mean, it was part of the reason that that we formed the ISP because we said we we don't know what's going on, but we've got we've we've got to get things moving. And if things go south with the SNP, then then we need to have a backup. You know. Okay. Thanks. So I'll move on to the next question, which is um, from Jeff Bush. And the question is, it's for Angus, who's for you. And it said, would you approve of an amendment to Plan B, whereby the final Section 30 request is made, say, in February 21, 2021, to focus mines? Yeah, I think actually in, in our last uh, draft, we had it something like the... the 31st of March or something like that. But yeah, I think there's some date. We can't let the Section 30 run forever. And yet another thing myself and Chris McElhenney have said is that we probably haven't got the best or the or the final best yet. We think it's a better, um, but that even it sounds a little arrogant. Um, so I'm sure that um, these things can be improved. And I think one of the things is to put a deadline on to when uh, we allow the UK government to agree to a Section, th section 30. And then we move on um, to, to the election, use the ballot boxes at an election. And I think that becomes important as well for the dynamics of the election, because by refusing the Section 30, uh, Boris Johnson then is part of the voice that says there is no referendum and this election is for independence. Uh, so it would almost by default, you could snare uh, Boris Johnson into it. At the moment, of course, everything's consequence-free from Boris Johnson. We ask him afterwards, he says no, and he moves on. And we have to remember from where Boris Johnson is standing, Scotland's 8.1% of the UK population, um, and if 50, 60%, 55-60% of Scotland want independence, that's only about 4.1%, 4.5%. In other words, 95-96% aren't wanting or bothered about independence. Many are not bothered, and I know the Tory and, and Tory and Labour MPs are not that bothered about independence. Either way, what situation Boris would be in. Right, thank you. That's great. So uh, I'll let you take your call and we'll move on to the next question. It's from Rising Caledonia. Then, so basically then, why wait for a Section 30? They're getting their way. We want ours 
we voted to remain. So let's just leave the UK and just remain in the EU, end of. So it's basically a statement. Um, so suggesting that we don't really need to do, we don't need to wait for anything. So what, what's your response to that? Um, Sam, do you want to come in on that? Well, I think uh, basically Craig's response to that the previous time is we, we do need to have a democratic event, but we can, we can't, and we do have to bring the Scottish people with us. That's they're the most important people in this. They are sovereign, and um, we we have to make sure that um, every, every, everyone is willing to do that. It's not that straightforward. So I agree with that, but with with a twist, which is that I'm very open to the idea, and I think the way to move this all forward might well be eventually, because I'm, I agree with what Julie was saying earlier. I think things are going to go, um, I think events are going to overtake us all. I, I think things are going to go pear-shaped fairly, fairly quickly for the UK. Um, I'm, I'm very open to the idea that Parliament declares independence first, and then you have a confirmatory referendum after rather than necessarily having to have the referendum beforehand. Um, uh, that, that's, that's one way. Of, and that's the way I think we will eventually end up going. And as I say, and, and it's, a, it's a route taken by several current EU members within the last couple of decades. So, so it's not, there's nothing outlandish about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, I, I suppose thing, things might be such that... Um, it might be seen that a referendum might not be necessary afterwards. And I think, you know, speaking to them as I'm chair of the House of Commons International Trade Committee and speaking to the mirror companies and particularly the Road Haulage Association very recently, um, things are not looking good at all, guys. Things are looking really bad. And I think parts of the media are waking up to it, but generally, on the whole, they're not. Um, so Craig's right, things could be moving uh, quite rapidly. And I don't think we've put the fleet of foot or planned anything for this in the last two years. Um, coming up to this December 2020 date, unfortunately. Okay, thanks. Um, so we'll move on to the next question, which is from um, Alec Adam. And the question is, do you think we will still have a devolved parliament in 2026? This is directed at you, Angus, but obviously you, the other uh, panellists can come in after. Yeah, I think we will. I mean, I basically think that um, what's going to happen... Um, you know, I've heard a lot that they might abolish the parliament. No, they'll just pull, they'll just pull the teeth out of the parliament. Abolishing the parliament would be just too big a, a, a statement and a totemic thing uh, to do. And why, why abolish it when you can pull, pull the teeth out of it? And it, it looks and it feels that it's still there. So I think I just think that it'll, it'll still be there, but it, it won't be great. Okay, thanks. Um, Julia Craig, do you want to come in on that question? I mean, I think we have to be careful with what Westminster are doing just now. When Boris Johnson came up to Scotland and, you know, he was waving crabs about and, and things like that um, up in Orkney, I mean, all, all that sort of buffooning about that, that he does all the time was covering his serious intent, which was he was he was um, checking out the oil installations and then later on um, he was checking the military installations. Um, when Rishi Sunak came up, um, he went to the Isle of Bute, what's just across the water there, Hunterston. I think he was po possibly also visiting um, some uh, some influential Tory donors who are up there as well. Um, the point is, they they have prepared for everything. Don't 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 rule it out that they might shut us down, Angus. I, I think 
um, they might well attempt that. I mean, another school of thought is that, is that bandwidth and, you know, we're having to deal with Brexit, COVID, they've got the G7 coming up in the next few months. They've a lot, they've a lot on the plates. Uh, fighting us won't be as easy either. They don't have the EU as a members club backing them up as they did then the last time. Uh, the Jose Manuel Barrosos are out there look, looking for jobs. So, yeah, I suppose, I mean, that's, that's one of the things about crystal ball gazing. We can, we can both look at each, each side of the ball and, and see something different. Uh, Different, but I mean, we've got to both keep alert to various points of view. And I think I heard what Julie said, and, and I, I take a bit in mind. Mm-hmm. I think I think we'll be independent well before 2026. If there's still a devolved parliament in 2026, then I, I would urge everyone never ever to vote SNP again. But because you know we've had 15 opinion polls in a row with a majority for independence. You've got the only demographic with a majority for the union is the over 60s. In fact, I think it's the over 65s. Um, uh, If you can't achieve independence from here, uh, then you're not trying. Uh, Whether whether the SNP leadership is trying is, of course, something which bluntly, uh, you know, I have my doubts about, as do do many of us. But the uh, devolution has run its course. You know, I, I don't actually care if the Tories abolish Hollywood. Uh, because we're going for independence anyway. In fact, that, that might kickstart us towards independence, might be a good thing. I'm, I, I'm actually not bothered um, about the limited powers of the Scottish Parliament, because devolution after a while becomes a trap. You know, all the Scottish Parliament can do is, um, is try to make things run competently, managerially, using the limited amount of our own money that the Tories give back to us. And that's been cut back and back and back by Tory austerity. So services are banned, and it's going to continue getting cut back by Tory austerity. So things are bound to get worse. You know, you're going to be defending all the time uh, your health service and, uh, and your education service against a background of, of a Tory-run economy. Uh, and, and it becomes a trap. It becomes a trap. Um, We've had enough of it. You know, devolution is finished, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I, I, I absolutely couldn't care less about the devolved powers of the Hollywood Parliament. It's now time to forget it and go for independence. Thank you. Just as a point to note there, that um, I did read today that Wales have done opinion polls and they're sitting well above 50% support for independence now as well. So it seems to me that they are having similar opinions about the devolved parliament. Um, particularly, if, if I can say that, Gwen, I mean that, that's interesting. I hadn't seen that poll, um, mm-hmm. but what I have noticed in Wales is I just as straightforward as about campaigning for it and being upfront about it. And Adam Price, whenever he's at a microphone, is saying it. The leader of Pride Cymru at the moment, so it goes to show that when you have a campaign and lead and push it, uh, the percentages come the way. That's that's yeah, that's true. We actually um, there was a person who was in Yes um, Cymru who had said that since January. And, basically during lockdown this year their enormous amount of people like 10,000 odd people whatever I can't remember exactly had joined ESQMD so they feel that because of the way things have been been going on during the pandemic anyway that's that's um, the Welsh situation but there's there's always a comparable thing because they're both putting pressure sort of putting pressure on you know on what's happening in, in Westminster in their own their own way yeah, it's, as I was saying earlier, I mean, this is all about taking opportunities and um, preparing and working things out. At the moment, I mean, we're all stuck in the house because of COVID. So, I mean, the one thing that 
that all of us who support independence should be doing is hitting social media. And to expand on the point that Jim Cassidy was making earlier about mainstream media, that's not just a problem for small parties, that's a problem for everyone that supports independence. We just don't have the support of mainstream media. That, that, that's a fact and that, that's something we all live with. But but we've got to find a route around it. There's no no point um, sitting moaning about it and moaning about the Johnson Press or or stuff like that. We we've got to we've got to create these things for ourselves and um, you know, uh, the the um all under one banner things that are going on down in Wales now, as Angus says, it, it has ramped things up and has got people um, engaged in moving on things. That's what we should be doing just now. That's right. Anyway, so we'll move on. We've got another question in, which is from uh, Raj1. And the question is, it's particularly for Craig. And the question is, do you think the passing of the Spy Cops bill has implications for the independence struggle? <laughs> Want to come in on that after? That's fine. So I mean, it's not particular to do with Section Thirty, but there's definitely a connection. <laughs> well, I think um, uh, you know plainly uh, when you have uh, security services exempt from the law for, for crimes they commit, that, that's got to be a great concern to everyone. And any anybody who doesn't who doesn't understand that security services are targeted on us. Um, is very naive indeed. You know, protection of the United Kingdom uh, is the task of the security services, and the biggest single threat to the United Kingdom is us. If, if we're not the biggest single threat to the United Kingdom, we're not doing our job very well. Uh, they, uh, and, and so there, there's no doubt that, that we are you know, perceived as an internal enemy, uh, as the enemy within. Um, and it it's strange because whenever you talk about it, people you know accuse you of being paranoid or conspiracy theorist, whatever. As though uh, the billions of pounds uh, that the UK government spends on on GCHQ uh, and on MI5 and the tens of thousands of people employed there were, were fictitious. You know, these things exist. The Integrity Initiative exists, the 77th Brigade exists, but, but they're all genuine. So, um, uh, and the uh, trying to influence the social media narrative with hundreds of fake online identities is the, um, that's the most beneficent, uh, that, that's the least nasty aspect of security service involvement in, in, in countering the Scottish independence movement, there will undoubtedly be uh, an awful lot of surveillance going on of Scottish independence activists, and there will be people around. And it's best, it's best not to think about it, because if, if, if you go, uh, if you get too deeply into it and try to identify people, it, it leads to all kinds of, um, uh, of nonsense. But, but people will exist within the movement who are, in fact, Placed there, and again, you say that, um, and people call you a conspiracy theorist. But look, there's there's a trial uh, just finished in London uh, about over forty undercover policemen who were placed in into the environmental movement, uh, who, who were there to spy for decades and decades closely on people who, whose campaign was to stop a bypass or protect a forest, and people and and. and Policemen who married 
activists in order to maintain their their sleeper roles. You know, anybody who it really does happen. It really does happen, uh, and and you can you can Google and see what what was what's been in, in in the High Court in London in the last few weeks about that. Anybody who believes there aren't such people infiltrated into the independence movement is, is very very naive, uh, and it's something we have to be on guard against. But um, but trying to witch hunt is a big mistake, uh, and I, I absolutely don't recommend people to to, to go down that route. Okay, thank you. Uh, would either of the other two like to come in on that? Oops. No. Uh, hello? Hello? Oh, right. Yeah, sorry. I, I thought I, I pressed the button there and everything kind of shuggled about. Yeah, I, I think I think the problem with, with uh, the Scots is we, we, don't, we don't have a sense of our own importance and their strategic importance um, within Europe. We've got the some of the biggest oil and gas resources. Um, we control the back door uh, to, you know, uh, to the Atlantic um, through the uh, Scapa flow. Um, and in terms of in terms of UK importance, um, we've we've got all the fresh water. Also, I mean, the oil and gas receipts um, and the 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 estimated collateral value of oil and gas is what enables the UK to borrow money and keep its AA rating up. So there's every reason. There's every reason for um, the security services um, to be targeting um, the independence movement and so on. As Craig says, it's best not to think about it too much. You know, I, I remember when um, I was doing PA for uh, Phil Boswell, and we, we all got a big form to fill out, and it was full of um, all kinds of questions. E effectively, are you a terrorist? Um, are you are you working to undermine the UK undermine the UK government? And we're like, well, what do we put down for this one? Of course, of course, we are, you know, sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's best not to think about it too much. But we have to have to be aware of some of the things that are just being quietly signed away and some of the extensive powers that the Coronavirus Act um, has bestowed upon the government and which were passed through with the minimum of review uh, just, just a couple of months ago as well, which um, you know have powers of, of arrest and detention, dispersal of assemblies and so on, and that looks to be continuing for the foreseeable future. Okay, thank you. Um, so I've got another question that's come in, and it's basically a, a, a statement, I suppose, that you that um, that, that would like confirmation of opinion on. Basically, it's from Jeff Bush, and it said, "So is this a valid route? One, declare majority in um, in the Holyrood elections in 2021 as a mandate to declare independence. Two, gain a majority and declare independence. Three, hold a confirmatory referendum in three years." So, who'd like to take that question for that? Don't we do it again? Yeah. Yeah, if we're going to hear, hear the three steps again. Right, okay. The three steps are one, declare majority in uh, Holyrood as a mandate to declare independence. I presume that's a, a majority of independent supporting parties. And two, gain a majority and declare independence. Uh, or three, hold a confirmatory referendum in three years. I'm not sure about steps or whether there's three, three choices. I can't quite decide there. I think if, if I can go, if, if Julian Craig are okay with that, I'm okay with that. Um, I think if if we if we have a majority at um, Holyrood, 
And whoever is whoever is going to do that would have to have stood at the election and told the people that if you vote for me uh, and my type and majority, uh, we will uh, be ha- we will be moving Scotland to to independence. You could then have a confirmatory referendum afterwards if you wanted to, perhaps. Um, Quite often, if the majority is so big, you might not bother the referendum because no side wants wants to waste their time. The the, the thing is obvious. Well, one thing that does happen is when the unionists, by default, uh, stand, uh, they're they're actually standing to maintain uh, the the, the union. And if they come in in majority, there won't be any such vote. Uh, So by default, they're holding on to the union by by voting for them. Uh, So I think we should... When we're using an election, we should be using it from our point of view because actually, when you think about it, they're using the election by doing nothing for the position they hold. Mm-hmm. Thank you. One of the problems, just just to pick up on, on a point there from Angus, uh, one of the problems that the independence movement is, is facing is how it reaches out to people who support independence but belong uh, to Labour, for example. When, when I was a councillor, uh, the Labour group actually couldn't hold, couldn't um, put the referendum on the agenda, which was which was going at that point, because so many of the Labour councillors in North Lanarkshire actually supported Jess. But trying to trying to get those people um, to vote in such a way uh, that would um, translate into, into a general election is, is tricky. Um, and so far, that that hasn't happened. Maybe, the, maybe a plebis declaring a plebiscite might encourage them to do that. Yeah, you know, this is the the advantage of of talk and interaction is when you know that when you know that that's an issue or or a problem. You know, you basically you can say this this election is about independence. You achieve it, and we will have another and we'll have different elections to an independent Scottish Parliament. Um, come a year's time or something. But, you know, if, if you want to move yourselves away from the Boris Johnson and the Tory government, for this election, you're going to have to uh, de- de- decide to vote very strategically, not tactically, st- strategically uh, mm-hmm. for a change in Scotland. Otherwise, we just carry on with more of the same and we can moan forever and campaign against the Tories, bedroom tax and try and mitigate this and mitigate that thing. The sort of things that Norway doesn't have to mitigate, the sort of things that Ireland doesn't have to mitigate. Uh, because they're they're in charge and they just just do it as they want from the from the get go. That's true. Consistently, if you look at the breakdowns on opinion polls, um, uh, thirty to forty percent of Labour voters in Scotland support independence, uh, and that's something well worth remembering. Of course, the uh, that's thirty to forty percent of a shrinking number because the Labour vote in Scotland goes uh, goes down a lot. But it it, it that's still three to four percent. You you know. In, of, of the voting population um, uh, who are independent supporters who vote Labour, uh, and that's important to remember. Strangely enough, um, all opinion polls always show, again, if you look at the breakdowns, something like 5 to 6% of SNP voters don't support independence, uh, w- w- which is, again, uh, peculiar, and is one of the difficulties with a, um, a you know, a plebiscitary election. But, but the the way you get around that is by making very, very plain what the election is about and, and what it means. The, the, the only thing I, I didn't understand about Jeff Bush's um, uh, suggestion was that he seemed to suggest that the confirmatory referendum would be three years after the parliament declared independence. That, that, that makes no sense at all to me. Um, three months after the parliament declares independence, uh, you, you know, you're not... I, I'm thinking of um, 
uh, a confirmatory referendum, which is part of the process of declaring independence, part of the independence process, not a years later, were you happy with that decision? You know, once you've declared independence, you've declared independence. And, and no country that's declared independence from the UK has ever wanted to go back. Uh, and I think that's so remote a possibility, it doesn't have to be guarded again. I mean, if, if we can come in on Craig's earlier point there about the, the number of um, Labour supporters who support independence, and we know in the polls that the that support for independence is, is higher than support for the SNP. So uh, to make the election uh, about independence on the plebiscite for independence uh, would seem uh, to have electoral advantages for the SNP because I would imagine for, for those Labour supporters, by now they've figured out uh, the only way they're going to change Scotland is to really control the powers here uh, and not to have a mainly uh, governments over Scotland that Scotland doesn't vote for. So um, I just, the, the, the more we examine and the more we argue the point, I think that the case is made more and more. We know the door is, is locked to the plan, plan A. Um, Boris will say no, he'll use his veto. So therefore, we use the plan B. The support for independence is higher than the SNP. Um, so, therefore, there's, there's a lot to be gained from, from that route. Thank you. Did you did you want to come in, Julie? No? Okay. So, we've got a question here that says, um, it's from Douglas Porter, and it says, Panellists, do you think that the EU will become more vocal or demonstrate support for Scottish, Scotland's independence after, the, after Hogmanay, basically? Do you think that it did... Um, but if it did that, it would change the mind of no voters. So who wants to go for that one? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the difficulty we, we see with, with the EU, the EU is a members club uh, of 27 uh, sovereign countries. And I, I don't like to dwell on Quebec and Catalonia and other places, but you can see why Scotland was maybe at their mercy in the past, you know, you'd David Cameron would rock up to the club and say, hey, lads, can, can you say something? I think he even tried to get Putin to say something against Scottish independence. Um, but after uh, the point the UK are no longer in the club, you'll probably see, I don't know if you'll see governments getting bolder, but you'll certainly see individuals within parliaments getting quite a lot bolder. Um, I think we're seeing that amongst the Irish already. Uh, you'll see that in other countries. And, you know, there are a number of people in, and I was... Maybe, I don't know, maybe not name the country at the moment in case that, in case there are people looking in who've not got the best of intentions. But, you know, I was told in one European country that the majority of our parliamentarians support your independence uh, quite unambiguously. Uh, so you, you will find that there's, there's great sympathy for Scotland. Let's go back to John Steinbeck's conversation with, um, was it uh, Jackie Kennedy, where this said Scotland, Scotland was a lost cause and the other said Scotland was an unwon cause. Uh, so in many places, and I think the way we've we've done this in Scotland, and I'd argue, you know, the, the point was made earlier uh, by Craig in a, in in a side remark, which said there'd be nothing about uh, violence or anything like that. You know, we've used the power of of people's mind and the power of reason uh, to try and uh, to try and achieve our independence, which I think has got a lot of international respect and a lot of understanding for what we're, we're trying to do as well. So to go back to answering the questions, I think yeah, we're going to see greater boldness. Uh, from individual MPs, maybe individual members of government in various parliaments across Europe. Certainly a greater breaking of cover now that the UK is no longer in their club and there's there's no consequences from from the top when their man comes back from the summit after the UK PM being a little bit annoyed. The UK PM wouldn't be there. So thanks, Brexiteers. Yeah. 
the one thing you've maybe given us. Thank you. Do you, Craig or Julie, do you want to come in? No, absolutely agree. Okay. Nope. Excellent. Thanks. I've got another question here from Kevin. And it is, can we not have a vote on whether Scotland wants a referendum to prove the Scots want it or not? I think we kind of covered that earlier, but maybe explore it a little bit further. So does anybody want to come in on that? Well, it's having a vote about, to see if we want to have a vote. <laughs> yes, uh -huh. well, have a vote on whether we want a referendum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vote on whether we want a vote, basically, yeah. Well, I think we're just sick of the people pulling them out. We'd either vote on the issue. If you if you take them to the polling station, you vote on the issue, or we don't take them out. But to say, right, come to the polling stations, and then we might take you back to the polling stations. So, yeah. nah, I'm not a great fan of that one, but others might be. Well, what do you think, Julie? Yeah, uh, I agree with Angus. I mean, the, the, this is also the advantage of using um, an election that's already set up. Uh, is that you don't you don't have to go through through the whole rigmarole of you know ch checking the intellig intelligibility of the question the um, ten week sign up for campaigners and all that kind of thing it really it really is a faff uh, doing that kind of thing I I would use the May twenty twenty one and then after that confirmatory election I mean th this is something else we do actually need to think about actually is the is the time scale uh, from from me to uh, when when would be the earliest that we could hold that question in terms of the organising of it because again that is no, that's not a straightforward thing um, and it could be it could be a few months and a lot a lot can happen in that time but we need to be ready for that. You remember, of course, there might be a problem with the confirmatory referendum in that um, you're not yet independent and you don't yet you may not manage to get to hold the confirmatory referendum that you're actually independent because. Uh, Boris's one power is to would be to block a confirmatory referendum. So a confirmatory referendum is maybe a dangerous uh, policy when the people have already said yes. Mm -hmm. um, and then when we are independent, well, the confirmatory referendum would be like maybe the Irish now decided to have a referendum on independence. Well, I think probably 99%, if, 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 if the dead themselves didn't, didn't rise to come and vote, we might have 105% of the Irish population <laughs> voting for independence. Vote early, vote often. <laughs> Do you want to come in on that? Um, yeah, no, I think, um, no, that's right. You, you, you definitely, the process needs to be fast. One, one thing I can't understand at all, which I think is, frankly, is complete and utter bollocks, and it's one reason why, you know, if you did declare independence, then have a confirmatory referendum, you wouldn't be doing it. You'd be doing it as an independent country already. You, you wouldn't be doing it. Um, uh, under the auspices of, of Westminster or the UK Electoral Commission, and I think the idea that an elect, but the idea that we can go to a Westminster election, you can go from the dissolution of Parliament to the election of the new government polling day in I think about three weeks, two days or something is the minimum period you can do it in, and it often is that kind of length. But that we need this eight or nine month process for, for a, a one question referendum is complete and utter nonsense. You know, there, there's no reason whatsoever why a perfectly valid referendum can't be organised, got up and put through in, in, a, in a three, four week period. Uh, and that's the kind of period we should be looking for. Um, I, it, it just seems to me 
yet more stupidity and procrastination, and an awful lot than the idea that it takes months and months and months and months for focus panels and God knows what to test to test for question that you've already had that you've already had a referendum on. Um, again, just utter nonsense. I, I have no idea at all what, what, why the Scottish government entertained this bollocks. Okay, thanks. Is everybody happy, or do you want to come in again? No. Okay. That was that was frankly put. Also, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I moved oh, on. Yeah. There, did you see that? <laughs> <laughs> We're allowed to say these things, I think. Uh, otherwise, we'll, they'll they'll beep us out anyway. So, um, yeah, another question here. This I, didn't say, I, I didn't say I disagreed. I just said it was frankly put. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, another question here from is uh, from Mike Fenwick, and the question is: When the proof that we have the right of self-determination and can declare independence exists, why are we waiting? Okay. Yeah, that that's again a good question, and it's it's a, it's it's another variation of the, of the earlier question. I think what we're waiting for isn't for permission, and it was put earlier, and we do have the right. Yeah, but we need to make sure that we we have established the legitimacy that that's the people's point of view. I mean, as as an SNP MP, um, I would just love to declare independence tomorrow, uh, but unless unless people are coming with me, I'd be I'd be a bit solitary here in Barra, uh, maybe declaring that. Um, so we've got to find a way of harnessing it, and that is us back to a ballot box situation. Boris is blocking the referendum ballot boxes. The court might block Martin Keating's ballot box. Therefore, the only ballot box we've got left is the ballot box in May the 6th, 2021. And if we don't choose that one, I haven't looked up the date in May 2026. That might be the time that we're using it. So, um, But it's, it's, it's good to tease these things out, though. I'm, I, I quite like that way that we start thinking, and, you know, because I've heard that, several times. Okay, thanks. Craig, do you want to come in on that? No, no, I think uh, I, I agree with what Angus just said. Okay, Julie? No, uh, yeah, just go along with that. Okay, excellent. Just move uh, once it's any um, questions. Okay. This is a, a quite a slightly different topic. We're moving into discussion about the UN at this point. Um, as people will be aware, this, Scotland doesn't actually have a representative per se at the, of its own at the UN. So this is a question from the fast and the dead. And it is, is a, a Scotland representative primed for the UN? Same to that? Hey, give you your bag packed. Julie, have you got your bag packed? <laughs> Have you guys got your bags packed? Let's go together. <laughs> I, uh, uh, it's, it's quite interesting. I've One thing I think which we, we aren't doing enough of, we're not taking seriously enough the fact that it is international recognition that makes you an independent country. And although there are um, officers established, you know, trade officers and that kind of thing established by the Scottish government here and there, we've not done nearly enough uh, international lobbying uh, and I should say, there's um, the uh, uh, there's a, a Scottish trade officer, one um, far flung foreign country. I'm not going to name them because that's unfair because they're a civil servant. But um, uh, they're there representing Scottish, paid by the Scottish office to be in a British embassy in this country, and they're actually a diehard unionist. Um, so you know where we, where we have got officers open, we're sending the wrong bloody people to uh, to staff them. Um, which is extraordinarily annoying. But we, we should be doing much more already 
to to be out there and lobbying. And also, we should be contacting certainly European Union countries and saying to them, look, Scotland's independence is going to be the biggest question in the United Kingdom for the next few years. You need to be opening now your consulate in Edinburgh, getting ready to open. Every EU country should have a consulate in Edinburgh now. Uh, And we need to be contacting them and telling them that. And we need to use people. Um, I I was talking to an old friend of mine, a chap called Donnie Blair, who used to be a senior senior executive with Diageo. He was based in Poland um, and um, ran all of Diageo's operations into Eastern Europe. Um, And Donnie from there knows... I, I should say I was also posted in Warsaw at one stage in my career, and um, and I knew Donnie there. And Donnie knows Donald Tusk extremely well. Uh, you know, Donnie could walk into Donald Tusk's home uh, and and be be welcome as a, without having to phone up to say he was coming, or whatever. And Donnie contacted um, Donnie, who's who's uh, been an SNP member his entire life, um, contacted the SNP. Um, and spoke with various people, including with Alan Smith, uh, at the time of that Brexit was going on, saying, "Would it be helpful to the SNP?" While Donald Tusk, you know, was holding was president of the European Commission, saying, "Would it be helpful if I went to see him? He's my old friend. Shall I go? Shall I go and see him and talk to him about Scottish independence?" And and because the party is so absolutely anal about control. Uh, he was discouraged, actively discouraged, and told not to do so. Uh, and I've, I'm not trusting myself forward here, but I, I also know Donald, and I know several heads of state. There, there are lots of people I know from my past career that I could be out there lobbying. But there's there's nothing coming from the SNP to use the, the amazing talent we have in this country. And the, the, there are lots of people like me who are Scots who've made their careers abroad who know all these senior people, we should have them out there lobbying and preparing the international ground. There's nothing of that kind of initiative going on at all. So, sorry, I, I rambled on a bit there. It's a particular point I'm passionate about. It was a, a very interesting ramble, though. Um, the, the one thing I would I would add to, to Craig's good points there was um, is that, uh, Neil, Neil Richmond, who is a rising star in, in Fina Gael, uh, advised um, the Scots recently to start setting up offices in all the European capitals of the Scottish government, which seems an eminently sensible idea, but it also maybe shows where Neil's sympathies lie. And uh, he's close to Leo Varadkar, who's sort of Tisha on and off. So it, it shows, it just shows a lot of feeling, I think, around in Europe that there's goodwill to Scotland, no, not, not just in, in Poland and, and other places, but it's everywhere. It's very good to hear of Donald Tusk, incidentally. Why do you think his name's Donald? It's not a Polish name. <laughs> uh, steady on. I mean, there's, there's, there's Donald John from um, from Lewis who's over and uh, we'll, we'll say no more. Can I just add just a wee point to that, uh, just um, as a matter of interest, that um, there are uh, obviously independent supporters in Europe. We have the, the German Scots for independence and also um, we have the, the Netherlands for independence, both of which have had marches and rallies, which I've attended. And the, the response we got in both uh, Berlin and in The Hague was absolutely incredible from, you know, people just out and about. And we were staying over. There was a lot of us up in over and people, you know, say in the guest houses or the, the places, pubs we went into or whatever, 
were absolutely fascinated about us being there, particularly, I think, after Brexit. And I think that we, we would have a lot of support. And I do think I would, I think that idea about making more statement in Europe would probably be good. Julie, do you want to come in on this uh, question? Yeah, I think, again, this is um, the kind the kind of confidence thing. I, th- I think bigger parties um, can sometimes get a wee bit, can get a wee bit set in their ways and become a bit risk-averse. Risk and we, we need to, I mean, Scotland needs to start making friends out there Again, this this is about pre- preparing the ground, and I mean the SNP did miss an opportunity with Craig some years ago here, where Craig could could actually have been a, a MSP in the in the Airdrie. I don't know if you would want it now, Craig, but um, that that was that was very much a missed opportunity for the SNP. Um, doesn't mean that we couldn't still send you out to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean we should be reaching out uh, to people. There's a certain amount of, you know, you've got to put trust in folk and the, and the skills that they have. And funnily enough, I mean, this is quite familiar territory for us at the moment. Because we're a new party, uh, we're, we're having to reach out to a lot of people and trust and and find, find out what people's skills are. And sometimes it works out right and sometimes it works out wrong. But it's actually been quite an invigorating program. Um, process and it reminds me a wee bit of the early days of the referendum where we were all kind of pitching in and trying to get things moving and we need to get some of that spirit back again and a, a, a sort of can-do attitude to things rather than are we allowed to you know do, do it first and ask permission later. Excellent thanks well just to say we're coming to kind of like wrap nearly the end of the, the show uh, we've got time for maybe one or two questions and then obviously I'd like you to think of your closing remarks but um, I'll ask the next question and then hopefully if we've got time we'll squeeze another one in um, but thanks again to everybody who's been sending in the questions that's been really great so this question is from John Park and it is do the panellists think tactical voting at the next May's election to take unionists held seats will advance the cause for independence and who would like, Tim, like to answer that Julie you want to go for that one I could just answer that question, yes, and leave it at that. Yeah, I think it's I think it's essential. As I said at the start when I was sort of doing sort of introductory piece, um, Machiavelli's thing that if you wish to rule a people, you go and sit amongst them. We've got to get them out of Hollywood. We've got to get them out. We've got to break up that network if we're going to. If we're going to have any success with independence, this is what we need to do. These are the kind of things we need to be doing and thinking about. We've got we've got to play smarter and bolder, and we've got to get in the front foot instead of um, instead of reacting all the time. So definitely, yes, the unionists have been doing it for years. So you know, why shouldn't we? Excellent, thanks. MDRs want to come in on that. I think um, Angus can't. Tell people to vote for anyone apart from the SNP, uh, and I don't think we should. <laughs> we should ask him to do so. But um, I, I took the view um, uh, that the SNP is the necessary vehicle to get us to independence. We we don't have another mass political party that has independence as its aim. Um, I. I kind of feared that the vehicle was A, stalled, and B, pointing in the wrong direction. But, but the answer to that was to turn it around and get it pointing in the right direction and get it going again, rather than um, 
uh, rather than build a new vehicle from scratch. Um, and I do think that the results of the NEC elections at the last SFP conference show that there were an awful lot of people thinking much the same as, as me. And I, I know an awful lot of people who are strong independent supporters who want early independence have left the SNP um, after the last few years uh, uh, because of um, uh, you know lack of progress towards independence. And I, I'm, I don't think the SNP is a lost cause. Um, I've stayed in it and, and fighting to, to get it in the wrong direction. They're, they're excellent people in it, like Angus. Um, and I think we... I would urge people to pile back in. That isn't to say that there's not a place for tactical voting because it, and despite, <laughs> despite others who will argue differently, like, like James Kelly, whom I have enormous respect, if there is, if the SNP is still polling anything like the numbers it is polling at the moment, then list votes for the SNP are going to be wasted almost everywhere, except conceivably the south of Scotland. And at the last uh, Hollywood election, list votes for the SNP were wasted almost everywhere except the, the, the south of Scotland. It, it just mathematically, you know, the, the chances are if you vote, if you give your second vote to the SNP, you're not going to elect anyone and you're going to let a Tory in as a result. Uh, uh, and that's just mathematically true. It, it's, it's inarguable that it's true. What you can say is if, if the SNP fall back in the opinion polls, and if they're back down to the 40% uh, mark, um, then you can argue, then you can argue, then you can argue. But I don't think as much chance the SNP are going to back, fall back in the opinion polls come May, uh, and it's something to look at closer to the election when, when we know for sure. But at the moment, the argument for giving your second vote to another uh, independent supporting party is extremely strong uh, 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 and that's why the that's why the ISP exists as far as I'm aware uh, apart from I think also sharing our impatience at the, um, uh, at the speed with which the SNP is moving towards independence um, but that but, but those, those are my thoughts as a, if the election were tomorrow and the opinion polls um, were um, and the opinion polls are the same as they are now then i I would find it very hard to argue you give your second vote to the SNP because it would be wasted. Okay, thanks. Does anybody else want to come in on that question? I think we're fine. SNP one, two. Okay. Well, do you know, um, I'm just looking at the time now and I think, so yeah, well, listen, do you know, I think what, what we want to do is just maybe ask you to, um, well, if you want to put in some closing remarks each, just um, that would be really nice just to try and sum up a wee bit of what we were talking about tonight. And uh, about Section 30, you know, but I know that the conversation has advanced on from that quite a bit, but it's, you know, it, it's not gone too far off the topic. And I think tonight has given us an awful lot of new ideas and new, th think, new things to think about. I certainly have quite a few new ideas about it. And um, so we might want to just, if you want to just put some closing remarks in, would you like to go uh, first, Julie? Yeah, muted, Julie. Is she? Is she muted? Right. Yeah. What, what what I would say is it's important, it's really important, first of all, not to box box ourselves in. 
and not to um, put all their hope in in one route. And the sec the second thing is that, that we need to do lots and lots of preparation. All the things that we've talked about tonight, like making friends with other countries, um, going on social media, um, ha having things ready uh, so, that, so that when the moment comes, we can actually react. I think that's the important thing because, as I said at the start, Westminster are ready, so we have to be ready as well. Excellent, thanks. Um Angus, have you got a closing? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd just reiterate the main point. So, you know, if ever in communication, say it once, um, tell them what you're going to say, say it, and then uh, say it again. So the point is to understand is that plan A is a plan to ask uh, Boris Johnson to ask the people a question and then get their answer. Um, and that is obviously going to be blocked by the UK government because they know what the answer will be. The answer will be for independence. Plan B is one to ask the, the, the people directly. That is hard for them to block because it puts them in the territory of Lukashenko. They don't want to stand against the people when the people speak. Um, I'm pretty sure a number of uh, Tory and Labour MPs I know at Westminster from outside Scotland uh, would be distinctly uncomfortable, shall we say, of a position of not accepting uh, the democratic will of our people. And, you know, eventually we've seen with Westminster, they have accepted the independence of nation upon nation upon nation. And the final point, about 100 years ago, there they were only 50 independent states on earth. There's now about 200. Europe alone has as many uh, independent states um, as, the, as the world had 100 years ago. Uh, so independence is the way of the future. It shows that... Uh, Countries are improving the lot of their peoples when they have the decision-making powers closer uh, to those peoples. So that's why I'm impatient to get Plan B going and get independence going and have Plan B at the 2021 election rather than wait. Everybody realises and we'll have it at the 2026 election. As James, as James Mallon said about Sunningdale and the Good Friday Agreement, the Good Friday Agreement was... was um, was stunning deal for slow learners. We don't want the 2026 election to be the 2021 election for slow learners. So we have to sharpen up Scotland and we've there's a big internal push we've got in the SNP as well uh, to make sure that if Boris Johnson says no to plan A, there are consequences. Currently, there's no consequences. We saw in January, he just said no. And he went and thought about something else. He probably hasn't thought about independence too much since then. He, he didn't have to think about it. Well, let's make sure the world is thinking about it, not just Boris Johnson. Okay, thank you. And Kay, would you like to um, put over some closing remarks? We don't need a Section 30. We don't need anything from UK domestic law. Uh, independence is a matter of international law, not of domestic law. We don't need to keep asking Boris Johnson. If we ask him, he'll say no anyway. And people who argue, the most amusing argument I've heard for years is the argument that the more certainly we will win the referendum, the more he will have to grant a Section 30. You know, the, the better we're doing in the polls, the, least, the less likely he is to grant a Section 30. There's no way they're going to grant a Section 30 when we're going to actually win the referendum for, because our resources are worth far too much to them. So, no, we should forget the Section 30 route. Uh, we should go for independence, and we're, we're going to have a very bumpy year ahead where, where I hope a great deal is, is going to happen. And I want people to be prepared uh, to accept to and people to look forward to a situation where we're moving towards independence in a way uh, that is acceptable in international law, but maybe viewed as illegal by Westminster, 
And all that entails, you know, we may be looking for actions like civil disobedience. Uh, we may be looking for strikes. We may be looking for goodness knows what, because we've got to take our independence. Our independence is not going to be given to us. And we're not going to ask anyone else for it. We're going to take it. Okay, well, thank you very much. Now, that's been a really interesting evening, and I hope that everyone who's watching has, has enjoyed it. And it's just really, uh, I'd just like to say thank you to all of our panellists tonight for taking the time out of their busy schedules to come and to, and to join this tonight and to add to the debate. And also to thank, of course, uh, Independence Live, who have made this possible to bring out to everybody and to um, everyone at home who's watching. And also to, yes, East Co-Bride, who put this on for us. So I've just been a, an invited guest to help them. I'm from, technically from Yes East Ayrshire, just a wee bit down the road. Well, thank you very much. So, um, and uh, hopefully some of, the, some of these ideas will be coming into fruition really soon. And 